Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 129 of the podcast, where I sit down with speaker, author, and pastor Mitchell Lee. Pastor Mitchell has this brand new book out, a resource about how to proclaim God's goodness, even if life isn't going the way you intended, even if you're in the wilderness, even if you're feeling overloaded. I love this conversation. He's got a pastor's heart. We talk about what to pay attention to. We talk about counter ifs. We talk about lament. There are so many good parts in here. If you're feeling overwhelmed, this is the podcast for you. And if you do enjoy it, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating review on iTunes, and be sure to share this episode with a friend. Tell them how it impacted your life. We appreciate all that you do to help build this platform and all that God is doing in and through all of you to let people know about the Reclamation Podcast and about our brand new ministry partner, Spirit and Truth. That's right. We're part of the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network dedicated to revamping and uh, breathing life into the local church. We're so excited. For more information about the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network, about the ministry that Spirit and Truth is doing, and to support the podcast by giving to Spirit and Truth, go to spiritandtruth.life, spiritandtruth.life. It's a huge help if you go out and support us in this way. We really appreciate it. And now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Mitchell Lee. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have a writer, uh, pastor, and speaker, Mitchell Lee, with us, uh, coming from right in between D.C. and Baltimore. Mitchell, thank you so much for being here today. Tony, what a joy to be with you, man. I'm looking forward to our time together. Yeah, and so you've got a, a brand new resource out, and um, the, it's got such an interesting title. It, it draws you in right away. The words are, even if... And so I, I'm wondering if you could kind of give us um, an overview about how, how do you come to a, a title like that? And, and as Christians, when we read that, uh, what should we be reading into? Yeah, great question. You know, the title um, really comes out of Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, actually the NIV version of Daniel chapter 3. And the actual weight of the message comes out of a, a deep wilderness in my own life that a place a time period where I thought man life is not going the way that I thought it was supposed to go I felt like I had just been punched and man did God pass me by did I get disqualified what did I do like what, what's happening here and it was in that wilderness where I was of all things was listening to the radio and and Chuck Colson a Chuck Colson <laughs> broadcast where they're talking about this, this British story of Dunkirk and how uh, this the, these this British regiment that was trapped on the on the coast of France sent this two word message back to England, even if, and it galvanized the country to start uh, this evacuation thing called Operation Overlord, which actually happened in history. Mm. And the actual point of the broadcast, Tony, was it was. How most of us today, if we got that message, we would have no idea it was coming from scripture. And it was actually about like our biblical illiteracy. Oh, wow. But God used that so that that little bit of an even if to propel me into, well, what is that message from? And, and it comes from a Sunday school in Daniel chapter three, um, a Sunday school lesson where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing before King Nebuchadnezzar, most powerful man on the planet at that time. And he threatens them, says, if you don't bow to my statue, 
I'm going to throw you in this furnace. And mm. these three young men say, well, if you do, O king, uh, our God can deliver us from the furnace. And then here's the turn. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship any other God. In essence, these three young men are saying, even if God doesn't do what we know he could and what we believe he should, even if he doesn't do that, we're still going to worship him. And that launched me into a journey of, of, of discovering, like, who do I really say God is when I say I put my trust in him? And where does that kind of resolve to believe him, to trust him, to worship him when life is just going upside down? Where does that come from? And that's really the, the, the genesis of this message. You know, you mentioned a word in there that seems to be a, a little bit of a hot button word lately, which is wilderness, right? And, you know, in this season of COVID, it feels different than it ever has before. And so I, I'm curious, I, I think a lot of us who are following Jesus don't necessarily know when we're in the wilderness. Do you have some um, like, hey, this might be a sign that you're you're in a season known as the wilderness and and what should we do in the midst of it? Yeah, the, I mean, in the first of all, let's look at just if we just think biblically. Yeah, think about every major leader, every major character that God used. They all have a wilderness. Even Jesus mm. has a wilderness period. So, how would I describe the wilderness? It could be that time where you're just really like, "Wow, this is not what I expected." So, for me, the beginning of that wilderness where even if came about was I was graduating from seminary and I got fired from the church that I'd been serving at all during seminary, the church that I grew up in 20 plus years. Wow. I got fired because my senior pastor had heard that I was wanted to go and do more studies. So he didn't ask me, he just hired my replacement mm. and let me know. Uh, like that sort of craziness where you just get unsettled. So other things in the wilderness is you're in a place of real discomfort. Right? You feel very vulnerable. And if you just think about a, you know, my wife and I love backpacking. Think about a, when you're in the wilderness and you've got everything that for your survival on your back, you feel very vulnerable. All it takes is a turned ankle. All it torches it takes is a nasty sting. Water not being where you thought it would be. You are really vulnerable and dependent. That's also wilderness. Uh, through chart church history, uh, you get church fathers, guys like John Cassian talking about the the, the dark night of the soul. Right? This place where God feels absent. Where is he? What, what What's happening? Silent. You feel dry. You feel discouraged. A, a lot of these things can contribute and describe the wilderness, which you're right. I mean, COVID was a quite a forced wilderness mm. for many of us. Do you think that, do you think that the, the seasons of wilderness, um, uh, let me ask you a different way. I, was, I have a question that's kind of brewing in my head about you know, whether or not sometimes uh, there's a forced wilderness with like COVID, but sometimes it seems like um, maybe just through poor life choices, <laughs> I choose the wilderness. Um, is there a difference in the outcome when it comes to the fruit or, or is it uh, a posturing that happens inside the wilderness that that really begins to nudge us and shape us and inform us in that season. Yeah, I mean that's that's the good news of having a God who is good. That mm. whether you are thrust into the wilderness of your own choosing, or whether it's just the brokenness of life, that there is the potential in the wilderness. Or sometimes the Bible will use the the imagery of the valley. 
or the desert, or in Daniel 3, the furnace. When you find yourself in the valley, the wilderness, the furnace, there is the possibility for real transformation there. It doesn't have to be the end of you. Here's the crazy thing. Even if your circumstances don't change. Right? Like when I'm in the valley, when you're in the valley, that's the first thing we want, right? We're praying, God, change my circumstances, change my circumstances. If you look at the story of Daniel 3, God actually doesn't save them from the furnace, but he is with them in it. Right? So much that Nebuchadnezzar looks and he's like, wait, didn't we put three guys in the furnace? Why are there four? And they come out. They don't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, surely your God is the God of gods because he was with you in it. And I think that that is, I mean, that's some one of the things that I really wanted to communicate in the message of Even If was that, you know, kind of the way, even the way that the question was formed for you, like, isn't that the kind of advice we usually get when we find ourselves in the wilderness? Like, you must have done something or, mm. or, or how did this happen? Like, everybody wants to interpret it for us as if when we, if, if we were able to discover causation, that's going to actually make it more fruitful or less fruitful. But rather, I'd say it this way. It's not really what caused your wilderness. It's the fact that when you are in the wilderness, there is the real possibility of transformation by God's very presence with you in it. And that's when we can declare even if. So I, I'm going to guess that to get to a place where we can declare even if requires some work before we get into the wilderness, before we get into the fire. I mean, even if we look at the story of Daniel 3, their faith didn't start in the fire. Um, where, yeah, If right. somebody wants to claim the even is, if declaration, where's a good place to start when they're not in the midst of, um, you know, that sort of persecution. Yeah. You know, I mean, a friend of mine said it this way. He says, you have to decide who God is before you get to the furnace. Mm. Right. And, and in that sense, it's like the, even if declaration is really in two point parts, there's the confidence in God's goodness. And then there's the resolve to worship him when life goes sideways. And so like constantly the practice of our lives is to build the good, like our confidence in the goodness of God. For a lot of people, uh, you know, here's a here's an interesting exercise. If I were to say, "Hey, what makes God good?" or describe God in His goodness, like how long would your list go? Right? For a lot of people, they say, "Oh, well, you know, He's loving, He's patient, He's gracious," and then maybe after thirty seconds, it would kind of, um, um, um. And I think the the practice of building the, our confidence in the goodness of God is how do I make that list longer? How do I continue to search into whether it's in the scriptures or whether it's in the beauty of creation, whether it's in the the ways that we experience God's goodness in the mundane moments of every day of our lives? How do we continue to build a resume of God's goodness and and then to remember that again and again? Like if you've got little kids, we, we we're trying this with our kids right now. You can raise even if worshipers and little kids is each day saying, hey, where did we experience God's goodness today? Hmm. Where did we experience his goodness today, right? Um, sometimes in the car, we do this like silly road game, you know, if it's a long road trip where we'll do like A through Z and everyone will pick a category and then we have to lay, name like A and, you know, we'll do it with things like Marvel superheroes, ready, go, A, Ant-Man, B, right? And, and people will kind of talk, to, try doing that with God, the characters of God, characteristics of God. It, it's, it's quite a, uh, it, it's quite an exercise to try. Right. Oh gosh, a um, gosh, his aseity, right? That God is independent, right? Um, <laughs> his bees, beauty, 
see his compassion, right? And to continue to grow this understanding, worship of his goodness before the fire, that's what's going to create that confidence to worship him. So I always love to drill down on something like this. I'm curious, what are some of the practices that you do on a regular basis that keep you in that even if space or, you know, let's maybe in my example, I don't always feel like I'm in that even if space. So, uh, you know, if I need to be bumped back, what are some of the, like, what can I do on a random Tuesday if I'm not taking a long road trip and want to play the characteristics of God game? Yeah. Every night, every night. And this is a practice that I've uh, actually started during COVID. Um, Every night I recall the day. And it's actually an ancient practice um, called the examine, but I, I do this e- each night. And I recall the day I start at from when I wake up and I just go through the hours. And actually, this doesn't take very long, Tony. It takes me maybe about five, 10 minutes. Do you just pull out and, your calendar? Or? You know, one of my, I have a, I just go through it mentally through okay. my schedule. Who did I meet with? What happened? And as I'm going through it, I'll think through, what was evoked in me in those moments? Like, when did I sense God's presence real close with me today? And then here's the, also the important part. Where did I sense his absence or my ignorance of his presence, as I record, recall it? This is different than just what did I do good and what did I do bad? This is about trying to center ourselves on where was God pre- Where was I aware that God was present with me today? And where was I not? And, and then even in that, I'll say, God, what, is there something more that you want to show me? Right. So I'll give you an example of this. Last night I was doing this. Um, I was coming back from a trip, actually. And so I get home. I usually do this around 9 o'clock to 9.30, somewhere in that period. Again, it only takes me about 5, 10 minutes. And I was recounting, where did I sense God's presence? And, um, you know, I, I sensed God's presence, the, the, the goodness of God. When I walked through the door, I hadn't seen my family all week. I walked through the door and my kids, just my youngest, just run. They're like, Daddy, give me this huge hug. And I really sensed God's presence in that, right? Wow. Like just this, the embrace of God's love. Where did I sense his absence? I was sharing an email with a friend. Uh, and he kind of dismissed the email as, oh, that's just being manipulative. Somebody's being manipulative to you. And I didn't think of it at the moment. But when I was recounting, I was like, oh, man, that felt like like I, I just didn't sense the love of God in that conversation, right? Um what both for me and for the person who was who had written that email to me, and I'm thinking through that and just God, what do you want me to show? What do you want to show me about that? Just that little five to ten minute exercise, Tony, every day. And here's the beautiful thing: the cumulative effect of that is that I look forward to that evening thing, but it also makes me more aware as the day is going mm. on. Oh, God's God's present here. Oh, oh, I forgot. You know, um, maybe some of the listeners they can identify with this. Like you ever have that, those experiences? I have it way too often. You have a great quiet time in the morning and then you go about your day and then nine to five, like you live as an atheist, right? You're like, right. you don't even right. recognize yeah. that God was with you. Right. And, and then even in the evening, then you just go into the evening, you go to sleep, you wake up and then you do your quiet time again. And you're like, Oh yeah, I totally forgot that I did. And what it does for me, at least as a small baby step, is if I start in the morning and I end in the evening recounting God's goodness and his presence in me, those bookends are are, are a pretty amazing practice to to really root yourself in the remembrance of who God is. And that remembering is everything because we're just we're just prone to forget. Right. And that's and God. Here's the here's the encouraging thing. 
God knows we're prone to forget. Yeah, amen. <laughs> right? Look at the Old Testament. Right? Look, look, look at the Old Testament. God knew his people would forget all these things. So what does he do? Okay, I want you to remember with this ceremony. Oh, and since you're even more prone to forget than you realize, I'm going to attach some food to it. <laughs> right? I'm going to give you a meal, a feast that I want you to do. And you're going to eat this food. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, this we got to remember. We got to remember God's goodness. We got to remember what he's done. And that remembering really is the foundational practice behind declaring even if. Because if you forget that God has been good to you or that he is good, when you face that furnace and it's burning hot, you're going to forget. Right. And so we have to keep on this practice of remembering. But it seems like that idea that it's uh, um, we're creating a new soundtrack for our life in a lot of ways. And w- one of the things that you talk about in the book is the idea of uh, what, what you call um, counter ifs. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if you could talk about what some of the counter gifts are. How do we how do we define them? How do we, well, I, you know, I guess we kind of talked a little bit about how we beat them out of existence, but how, how do we identify them? Maybe just start there. Yeah. So the the what is a counter if a counter if is this? It, it's how we live and manage in this inevitable space between what we desired, hoped for, expected, versus reality. Right. All of us have this gap. So it could be about anything. It could be about your vocation right now. Like, man, I I thought by now I would be at X point, but I'm actually at Y. And that gap between X and Y, between a reality where you are and your expectations, we fill those with our counter ifs as a way to try to get our reality to match our what we're hoping for and expecting. So there's lots of them. I tried to categorize at least three of them that I see most commonly in in my pastoral experience and in my own life and heart. The first is what I call, instead of saying, even if we say only if, and those are your conditions, the conditions you put on God. They're very subtle. They start oftentimes in really sincere places, kind of this sincere desire. Oh, if, if, if God, you could heal, or if God, you could provide, or if God, you could move, or if God, you could work and transform and, and it starts with this very sincere, even kingdom-oriented desire at times, but then with enough disappointments or enough silence, it can we can calcify them. It, it becomes hardened, almost like we, we tighten our grip on what we're asking God for, and, and they become these only if. Only if you do this, God, will I believe that I'm loved. Only if you do this will I believe that my life matters. So that's the first kind, this condition. The second I call them, I call them regrets. Again, when life right where we're living doesn't match up to what we had hoped for. And that's the if onlys. If only something had been different. Or, you know, there's three types of regrets. There's your 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 broken past regrets. If only I hadn't made that mistake. Mm. You know, if only I hadn't done that. And so we live our lives in our current reality trying to make up for what we did in the past. But there's also the golden past regrets where if only I could get back to the faith of 10 years ago, if only I could and relive the golden years. Right. And we begin to believe that God, God doesn't love us as the current version of us right now because he wants us to be like we were when we were 10 years ago and we're much more passionate or sincere. And the third kind of regret is this idea of uh, the imaginary present, or I call them fantasy regrets. And I think this is actually the one that I've seen grip the most people. Uh, and it's it's this idea that where I am right now in my life isn't what I had imagined where I would be in my life right now. And and you'll know this because you'll in your mind or you'll say it out loud. I should 
dot, dot, dot by now, right? I, I, I should be further along by now. I should be over that habitual sin by now. I should be have it all together by now. My kids should be listening better to me by now. My marriage should be, and, and we compare our current version with the imaginary version of ourselves mm. right now. That's like, oh man, I should be, right? My church should be bigger by now. Or man, when I when I I had fantasy regrets when I when I released this book, right? These these like this insecurity rising up within me. And it's like, oh, I, I should have done five books by now. Right. Like, <laughs> and here's the thing that happens, right? We believe that God compares us with that imaginary version of ourselves. Mm. And we're and we believe that we're a constant disappointment to him. Right. And so that's those are the kind of like fantasy regrets I think that plague lots. I would just say about just about every one of us because life, no matter how successful you are, it's never as good as it is in your imagined version of it. And then the third uh, kind of counter if is the what ifs, the contingencies where anxiety and fear either paralyze us or cause us to try to control more. And we think of all these what ifs, like what if this happens? What if that happens? What if? And sometimes we're trying to bail God out in case he fails us or, you know, like all sorts of these kind of control uh, mechanisms. We try to go deeper, know more. We try to tighten our, our grip on the people we love, or we're trying to quote unquote protect these. What ifs can absolutely drive us into trying to be God or worse. They can just leave us paralyzed and stuff. So those are three kind of categories of, of, of counter ifs, uh, that I, I that I try to communicate. Do Do you think that each um, now I, I know we've talked about the even if kind of practices and the gratitude and the characters of God it, is that the solution to each one or do we need to? And I'm not trying to make you my therapist here, but like when I struggle with like um, the what ifs or the the fantasy regrets kind of thing, like um, do I need to handle those separately or is if I just focus on the the true character of God? you know, before we get to those spaces, will that automatically, um, will that battle back? Will it do what I needed to do to put me back into a healthy place? Uh, I would say yes and no. Like it's a good place to start the character of God, but you know, Christians, we're so good at doing this is we're so good at operating in the vague generalities, right? Of, Oh, oh God's good. God's got this. God will be with you. Where if you look at the way that God's grace transforms us, hmm. like God's grace is so particular for the unique needs of our life. So if you're struggling with a fantasy regret of an if only I was more blank, like I think that there's a unique even if that 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 can be birthed out of that. That you know what? Even if even if my life right now never manage measures up to the fantasy version of me. This life right now, who I am is the one that Jesus died for, hmm. not the imposter version of me, not the imaginary version of me. And so I will worship him. I will worship him because he knows this life that I'm living right now. And he has grace for me in this life. So there are, I think there are very unique and specific things that we have to speak over the, I mean, Here's the funny thing. Once you say even if over one thing, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. Another counter <laughs> pops up over here. <laughs> right? It's just 
And and they form this kind of unholy trinity. Like your if onlys are actually a response, or your only ifs are actually a response to your if onlys, and they're trying to be worked out by your what ifs. I mean, they're all this 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 unholy trinity that's connected. And we declare, even if over each of those things in each moment that the Lord reveals them to us. And in that sense, I like to say that the even if is not a declaration, it's not a one and done deal. Yeah. It's not this banner that you raise up and you're done. It's really more like a tapestry where each moment you declare even if is like a thread that you pull through as you, as you weave your unique even if declaration over your life. Um, that's the kind of faith I believe that that the even if declaration helps build. Yeah, in our Wesleyan tradition, we really like to throw that sanctification word around a lot. This this feels like a sanctification process that that every day I'm going to just try to pick up more of Christ and more of Christ, even if, you know, you know, even if, right? Like it's a sanctification kind of almost like a litmus test, it feels like. Yeah. And it's a deliberate active declaration. I, I like to say that even if declaration is not an even so declaration. And what I mean by it is like, even so is just kind of a passive, like, que Sarah, Sarah, it's fatalistic, like, okay, well, it happened. Well, I'm just going to worship God. That's that's not the even if declaration. Even if is looking directly into your disappointment, looking directly into your confusion, looking directly into your hurt, and and saying it and naming it before the Lord. I mean, here's an important practice. The Bible calls it lament, but you mm. can also call it confession. Not confession in the sense of like sin, but confession in the sense of saying what is so. Like like God, I. Gosh, I had these. I have these regrets. God, I I wish that I was further along than I am right now, and to speak that to God, and then to, and then in in that speaking it is where the even if declaration comes up because it's like, but even if I'm not there, I know that you love me where I am right now, and so I worship you. Or God, I'm so driven by this anxiousness and fear. I'm bringing that to you because I know that you're a good God who knows what I need and you'll give it to me. Even so, even if it doesn't, this this risk doesn't pan out, I will worship you. I, I love the idea of even if worshiper, and especially how it's tied to Daniel three, because one of the things that we see in Daniel three is that there are three guys who are kind of facing this fire together. I, I wonder if you might speak to the person who thinks they can enter into this process uh, as a lone ranger versus community. Uh, how important is community to? to be coming an even if worshiper. Man, I would say community is so important because life is that hard. Yeah. <laughs> right? Life is so, so hard. Right. I mean, I, you know, you're probably like me, Tony, like I'm so sick of cancer. I'm yeah. like so sick and tired of cancer. Like I just can't wait till when Jesus returns and cancer gets its due. Like I'm so tired of cancer. And mm. I, I I've heard it so many times from from beloved cancer folks who are walking through that journey, who are trying and and with sometimes with a whisper and sometimes with a defiant shout, are declaring even if to a person they say, "Man, how does a person go through this alone? Hmm. Right, we can never go through this alone, right?" And so when you ask the question like, "How does community help raise an even if declaration?" Like, we need community because life is hard. Right? And and with all its with all its drawbacks, right? I mean, I, I talk about the book of Job, and how Job is such an interesting case study for us in terms of 
how our conditions birth. And it's actually from community that all the complications come, right? <laughs> I mean, these, I love the, the right? I mean, I, I love the end of, of Job 2 where like, they're just literally sitting in with him in the ashes for seven days. Nobody's speaking mm. a word. They're just, they're, they're, they're holding space for him. And then they break in and then they're like, they start talking and they're like, Job, you must've done something wrong. You must not have met some of God's conditions. Come on, come clean. Let's figure this thing out. And Job's like, no, I don't know what you're like. No, really, 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 I don't. And so sometimes community can complicate matters. Yeah. It really can. But man, my prayer is like, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have people who came and sat in the ashes with me, didn't say a word just for seven days. Like they remind me of the goodness of God when the furnace is burning really, really, really hot. And I think it, it, it's, it's, life is too hard to just, rely on ourselves to give ourselves a pep talk or to remind ourselves it can get that dark right the fire can get that hot it can get that bleak and we need community to remind us of the goodness of god maybe it's just a meal maybe it's a phone call maybe it's somebody who just holds space for you and sits there with you in the ashes and weeps with you those are the little reminders that we need that hold us in the goodness of god that i'm not forgotten i'm not forsaken and that the lord is with me now, one of the things that it, it feels like you've uh, you're you're managing to hold in tension is what a multi ethnic community looks like. Um, I, I know at, at Grace, that's one of the things that you guys are striving for and uh, and and working towards. Um, how important, from your perspective, is it to to have people who are willing to sit in the ashes who who don't who don't look and act like us? Oh gosh, you know this this. I mean, in our in our popular culture, this whole idea of holding space for each other. Um, you know, if we, if we remove that from all of the tension types of things, like how amazing and what a sign of the power of the gospel to unite us. If I can sit with you, even when I don't understand your pain mm. or where you're at, but because simply by the fact that in Christ, we belong to each other. Yeah. Right. I mean, just, 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 just think about that for a second. Like, man, I don't understand your life story, your background. I don't even understand where the pain of this come from. And quite frankly, it even makes me uncomfortable, but because I belong to you and I love you and Christ has united us together, I will sit here with you. And I don't have a single piece of advice to give to you. All I have is the, ministry of presence with you and then when we part i i invoke the ministry of absence that the spirit will continue the work that he has been doing while we were together when we're apart and that's the that's the beauty of it and the more divergent your contexts are the more powerful that sitting together can mm. be how, how do we begin to <laughs> how do we begin to kind of broach some of those intentional diverse relationships how do we how do we build community from your perspective or, or even in your practice like that that promotes holding that tension for each other that promotes sitting in the ashes that promotes that idea of like hey i'm i'm here for you i i may not understand what you're going through but uh but even if you know we're facing this i i'm with you how, how do we how do we build that kind of intentional diverse community 
Uh, I think a big part of it is curiosity. Mm. We, we get curious about each other. Right? We, we get curious about each other and what God is doing in the world. And, you know, sometimes we, we you know, I don't, I don't remember. I, I was racking my brain actually about this, Tony. I was trying to think, when was, at what age did I stop being curious? Right? Or at what age was I told curiosity kills the cat? Yeah. And so we shouldn't be curious because it'll just get you into trouble. Right. And so then we stop being curious. I feel like it was right? middle and school. So then we go to our media <laughs> middle school for you, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I was like racking my brain, you know, and, you know, maybe, maybe, and there is a certain kind of curiosity where it's like, oh, don't go into that or be mm. careful of those, those areas on the web or things like that, that where curiosity can get you into some trouble. But, I don't think that's a blanket thing, right? Like right. we have to stay curious about each other. Like, uh, you know, think about in your ministry, like who are the hardest people to disciple or to be in relationship with? It's it's the people who know it all <laughs> or who think like, you know what? I, 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 I watched two YouTube videos and now I'm the expert on why, I don't know, why, why the scriptures are not reliable because I watched two YouTube videos and now, I can refute any bit of textual criticism, right? It's oh, like, you've talked to that person. It, right. Yeah. We like, we get so tired, like we stop being curious and then we just form our opinion, our perspective. And then if something else is happening that we're not sure of, we wall up instead mm. of getting curious about what's happening with a person. We want to grow like, um, you know, if you want to grow, especially cross-cultural relationships, you have to get proximate. The only way you're going to live in tension is, is if you love the person who you, you're experiencing that the tension with. And, man, you got to get curious, right? And you'll look like a fool sometimes. You'll, you, might, you might offend sometimes and not even know it. Um, but it's the, I think it's that posture of humility and continual curiosity. Hey, this is really I, – I don't understand this right now, but it's really bothering you and you matter to me. Help me and help me understand it. And you're willing to, because you're curious enough, you're willing to, even when it comes out in, in emotional intensity or maybe even some angry outbursts, you're not going to take that personally. You're just holding that space. Man, the more we develop that kind of resilience, that the, that kind of even if resolve to say, like, even if this is really uncomfortable, like the Lord has brought us together, I'm going to worship him by loving you. That could be a very, very powerful relationship. Yes. Speaking of relationship, I'm, I'm curious, how, how do we get even if as kind of uh, woven into the the covenant of our marriage? How, how do we bring that in? And you mentioned a little bit with the kids, which I loved, but I, I love to get super practical with uh, somebody who, who maybe wants to get that joint resolve with their the person that they love the most, their, their spouse. How, how do we how do we build that in? The really coming around, like in in my marriage, the place where the even if resolve has has um, anchored us the most has been in times of risk where we've taken some risks together, and in doing it, we're both nervous and we're saying, okay, um, as we make this decision, as we pray about it, we're like, oh, it could go either way. What should we do? Well, let's try to make this decision. But you know what? Even if it doesn't work the way we want, we're going to worship the Lord, right? We're yeah. going to worship the Lord, right? And you're you're mutually strengthening each other's resolve. So that's one thing. It could be in like decisions or maybe a risk-taking thing. 
um, I think every marriage will go through it. Like when you walk through the valley of grief together, whether you lose a child or a parent or a loved one, those are moments where where one spouse can really remind the other spouse of the goodness of God and not in a trite sort of way, like, Hey, it's okay. If your mom died, right. Because God is good. No, no, no. It's like, it's speaking. What is so, uh, you know, when my mom, when my mother-in-law passed away uh, a year and a half ago, man, that was an even if journey for me and my wife, mm. because there were ro- a lot of wrestlings with the what if contingencies. Um, even after she passed, my there was this whole thing of regrets that my wife was going through. Like, ah, oh, like did we do the right thing at putting her in hospice? Was it too early? If only we had blah blah blah. And she's walking through all of these things, and I'm just I'm listening for her, and I'm trying as I'm listening, also want to gently remind her, like, hey, honey, we did the best we could, right? And the Lord was in it, and the Lord was, and we're constantly lifting each other's gaze to the goodness of God in our lives. She's done that countless times for me. Um, when I'm feeling battered and bruised, especially in this last year and a half of leading a church, a multi-ethnic church, man, just feeling battered and bruised, how many times she had to remind me of the goodness of God, and not in a preachy way, but in a gentle, kind, loving, appropriate way, and that helped build my resolve. Yeah, I I love that. I, I think that there's so much to be learned in that. Um Man, where it's, it's like I heard you talking. I was like, "Oh, you're you're even if teammates, you know." And so, yes. so, so you don't yes. have to both be. Um, I, and and maybe this is another testimony to why the community is so important is because you we're probably not going to be resolute in our even if declarations all the time. There's going to be moments of of temptation or trials or tribulations that feel almost overwhelming. Right. And in those moments, that's where having somebody like a, a loving wife or, uh, you know, your your guys who are you're doing life with to pick you up. Uh, man, I, I like the idea of even if teammates. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even if community, you know, um, let's think about it in the positive sense of it. Like how many times have you been on the edge of a decision that like you, you sense God calling you to take this, but you're just afraid. And you're you're wondering if the risk and how it's going to turn out, and those are really defining moments. We can remember those moments, those moments where we said yes, or those moments where we said no. Mm. And so often, I have needed another pastor, a friend, my wife, to remind me that, hey, if you take the step and it doesn't work out the way that you had hoped, you know you're still the beloved, right? You know you're still working on house money here because you have your acceptance in what Christ has done for you. And it's it's just been just that little bit of encouragement to help me take that half step, to take that next step. So there's an even if in the sense of not even just when you face a hardship, but when you have also are facing an opportunity, how mm. important is that community to say, Tony, take the step, take the step. God's worthy of the step. And even if it fails, you are the beloved. That's powerful. That's powerful. Because the world's not going to tell you that. Right. The world's going to take tell you, you know, you're the beloved if you're successful. Up and to the right. Up and to the right, baby. That's where you got to go. And we need people to tell us the other way, right? 
How how long have you been working on the even if message? Like uh, when when did this first get planted inside of you? Man, two thousand two. This is a nineteen year message for me, and yeah. it's. I mean, even the genesis the genesis of this book is is very different. I, I was learning through the publishing process. A lot of pastors write books out of sermons that they've preached. Sure. And actually, the only message I've preached on even if, and I did probably starting from about two thousand three, was the actual even if message, Daniel chapter three. That's it. Maybe the first two chapters of this book was a sermon that I read. And the rest of it is just 19 years of filing stuff in my Evernote and pastoral counseling and all of these things and these recurring themes that when it came time, the opportunity was given to actually put this in a book. Uh, it it actually really flowed out. I mean, it, it was really a, a fun experience to to take this message that's meant so much to me in my life and to put it in the pages so that other people well, can raise I, I, their own even if declaration. The the timing it it feels like as a the big C church kind of um, takes a collective breath right now you know hoping praying believing that we might be on the the downside of what has been arguably that the hardest couple of years at least in in most pastors' lives um, it feels like this is a, a rally cry do, do you sense uh, I mean do you sense that maybe since 2002 this has been for this season or, or i mean this is certainly not a coincidence yeah you know the there definitely is a providence in it you know when i first submitted this manuscript it was the beginning of 2020 so before everything shut down mm. and then they wanted me to revise a lot of things and so i feel like i ended up writing another book during the first six months of COVID shutdown. Wow. And there was a great providence in that. I think it's also the timeless, the, the message is really timeless. I mean, yeah. Who doesn't face disappointments or confusion? Or, and we want to trust the Lord, but we don't have the language to do it because what are we told, right? If you don't have not something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Mm. And we translate we translate that to God, and we just we just put our stuff away because we feel like God can't handle it, or if we speak it out, God's going to be mad at us, and or we feel like we have to give it the positive Christian spin, right? Oh, it's not that bad. God's going to do something great out of it. He's going to work it out. And people tell us that, or people tell us like you must have done something in order to make to for this stuff to happen to you. And so that we don't know what to do with it. We're just stuck or, or we just, we just really, we domesticate our faith to the point where we like, we won't get disappointed anymore because we're not going to try anything new. And I feel like even if is a way for us to navigate that, to say, no, it's terrible. Like almost in right hand, in our right hand, we hold the hard, terrible trouble of life. Mm. And then in our left hand, we hold the goodness of God and we have this ambidextrous faith that holds both of these together and we hold it for each other together as well. I, I think, I think that's why this message will resonate because as we come out of COVID, a lot of people are going to have these regrets, these if onlys, they're going to, they're still continuing these what if fears. A lot of people are going to have these conditions like only if God, you didn't turn this around. And a lot of people are going to have opportunities, next steps that God is calling them to do. We've got some, 
this is a broken, troubled world we're seeing, but the gospel has this incredible power for and potential for renewal and hope and transformation. And God's going to call us to do some scary things. And if we need to have the guarantee of success on the other side, we're not going to take that step. Mm. But if we can say, even if, even if it doesn't go exactly the way we want, we believe that you're calling us to do this and we were going to worship you anyway, God. I think we're going to see some really amazing kingdom things unleashed as people declare even if and take that next step of glorifying God and worshiping him, regardless of how the situation turns out. Amen. Amen. I, I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I love your message. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited for this book to continue to do uh, you know, what it's been doing in your heart for, for many others. Uh, I know that my listeners are going to follow you all over the interwebs. Uh, Mitchell, where's the best place for them to connect with you and, and learn more about your ministry and, and uh, pick up their copy of, of the book? Yeah, you can pick up the copy of um, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book, you name it. Uh, come by and visit me at MitchellLee.com. We're actually working on some really unique resources. Um, we've got actually, I think it's launching this weekend, a family guide mm. for Even If. And, and it's just a one-page front and back, uh, how to raise Even If children and how to uh, help your kids with some practices on uh, recounting the goodness of God, the ABCs of God, or... Uh, how to help them to say what is so when life disappoints, even at a young age. So that's a resource that will be free on my website, MitchellLee.com. Follow me on Instagram, uh, at RevMLee, and you'll see in my bio links to this podcast, a lot of other podcasts, um, my church website. You can kind of hear some of the messages. I'm actually preaching through this for only the second time. I'm preaching through Even If uh, to my own congregation right now. We're wrapping it up this Sunday uh, or October 3rd. And so you can catch all those and hear the messages it's worked out in preaching form. Praise God, man. Praise God. Okay. Last, last question. I always love to ask people. It's a, it's an advice question uh, where I, I ask you to give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the very specific time. And, uh, and what I'd like to do is I'd like for you to go back and talk to that younger version of Mitchell the day after um, you got fired from the church. Right. And so if you could sit that young man down in your office and sit knee to knee across from him, look him in the eyes, uh, what's the one piece of advice you're going to give him as he gets ready to set out on this incredible uh, journey called ministry? I'd say keep paying attention to what's going on inside you. Hmm. Right, not what you're going to do with your life, your kingdom potential, the next great opportunity. Keep paying attention to what is going on inside you, what God is doing in you, what God is, who God is forming you to be. Uh, my dad used to say uh, that he was convinced that at the end of our lives, God will be far more interested in who we became even more than what we did. And that's what I would tell myself. Pay attention to the interior life. Keep paying attention to the interior life. And and it's, yeah, I feel like the COVID has taught me that in increasing measure. And mm. it's, it's kept me in it, to be quite honest. 
That's so good. That's so good. Uh, Mitchell, thank you so much for your generosity today, for your time, for uh, for what you're doing for the kingdom of God. I truly appreciate you spending some time with us today. And I know you've uh, you've touched quite a few listeners' lives. So thank you. Thanks, Tony. What a joy to, to, again, to be with you. And I do pray that God, by his spirit, would continue to give the listeners that resolve to worship him no matter what. Man, I love this conversation with Pastor Mitchell. Such good words of wisdom. I appreciate his heart. I appreciate the way he operates. I think there's so much goodness in here for all of us. I think one of my favorite parts is that <laughs> the, the trouble-free life was never part of the promise. Man, that resonates at a deep personal level. The trouble-free life was never part of the promise. Hey, if this uh, episode was impactful for you, do me a favor. Uh, leave a rating and review on iTunes. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and share this episode with a friend. It goes a long way to spread the word. And don't forget, you can check us out and support us at spiritandtruth.life. Remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.